I would like every man from the age of 13 years old and up to please stand. Every man, 13 years old and up, please stand to your feet. Men, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You don't know what you're clapping about yet, okay? I could be, I could be marking all the men that are sinners. Well, that would be true. All right, men, listen. Listen carefully. I believe this is God's heart to you, men, so listen. All right? We are all made in God's image. This would be men and women. And as men, we have the privilege of imaging God in His fatherhood. I know that this is a serious calling that none of us feels competent to fulfill. But men, fulfill it, we must. Why? Because God has commanded us to. The enemy of God has from the beginning waged war against God. And in Genesis 3, when he waged that war, it affected us because our father, ultimately Adam, failed in his mission. And one of the curses on us men was to be lazy and selfish or the flip side, domineering and selfish. Go read it, Genesis 3. But this warfare was engaged by God and He sent His Son to do the battle. And He's engaged now us, His Son, if you are a believer. And if not, I pray you would become one today by the end of this message. He's engaged us as soldiers in the war. Now, the war is against God, but since it's against God and we represent His fatherhood, what do you think will be the battle line today, men? Against us as fathers. So that today men are tempted to be what? Absentee fathers. Abusive fathers. Jerks. Selfish. All they're interested in is in what they want to do. Whether it's partying, whether it's business, whether it's money, or all of the above. That war is against God, but we're the soldiers on the front line of that war. So today, I want to thank you for engaging the war, if in fact you are engaging the war. I want to thank you, my fellow brothers in arms, or my band of brothers, for fighting together to be the kind of leaders that are servant leaders. That means we're first to fight. We're first up in the morning. We're last to bed at night. We're the last ones to eat, the last ones to be served. We serve everyone. We wait till everyone has eaten, and if there's enough food, then we eat. That's the kind of leader we're called to be, because that's what Jesus was. So men, thank you for doing that. Thank you for suffering. Thank you for taking risks. Thank you for protecting. Thank you for providing. Thank you, ultimately, for laying down your lives for your families. And if you're not married yet, for those around you. And if you have children, for your children. Thank you, men. For this is what God has called us to do. And men, this morning, I want to commend to you a scripture. I want to actually commission you with this scripture. It's in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. And this is what it says. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Men, I salute you. Thank you. You may be seated.
Exodus 19. Beginning in verse 1. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 19. We're going to read the whole chapter. Here we go. Exodus 19. Verse 1. Israel at Mount Sinai. On the third moon, which is the third month, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. Verse 2 of Exodus 19. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and then camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Verse 7. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For the, on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Verse 17, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai, Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them and Moses said to the Lord the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you yourself warned us saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. 
And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Let's pray. Lord, we've heard your word. We are standing, Lord, at your mountain. Lord, come visit us. Lord, those who take you lightly, may they tremble after this message. Lord, those who do not understand your mercy and your grace in Christ, may they come near to you in that mercy and grace. Oh God, speak to us all this morning. For it is with you, the great and holy God, that we have to deal. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is holiness? What is holiness? There is a wonderful book that I would like to introduce to you. It is a book entitled, The Holiness of God. It is written by a man named R.C. Sproul. And if you do not have this book, I would like to encourage you to purchase it. And it is a wonderful book. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to examine this idea of holiness. Because it's an idea that most of us don't have. We, we think God's our buddy. Now, my attempt here is to grow a big white beard by Christmas. That's not true. But if I did have a big white beard, then many people would say, oh look, a fatherly figure. That's what God's like. He's just got this big white beard and he's like an old grandfather up in the clouds who's going to just welcome everybody in and nothing could be further from the truth. The God with whom we have to deal this morning is holy. So what does holy mean? What does holy mean? And if you have the notes in front of you, The very first point of today's message is God is holy. The second point is we should obey Him. But let's talk about the first point. God is holy. And so reading from the notes, this is what holiness is. Tell me if this did not surprise you when you first read it. God's holiness is defined as His transcendence. Huh? What does transcendence mean, Al? What happened to purity, Al? I thought someone who was holier than Tao is someone who is more pure or better. Well, more, more, better is a good definition, but more pure is not the primary definition of Scripture. Holy in Scripture talks about transcendence. In other words, reading from the notes, God is different from us. Does that help you? Transcendence means God's different from you. Here's another one. He is set apart from you. He is far above you in every way. This is the idea of holiness that we find in Scripture. When God chooses a people, He makes them holy or sets them apart as His own possession. He does this by making a covenant with them. It is the covenant which God made with Israel that the rest of the book of Exodus describes. So to understand the Bible first have to understand God is holy. He's a cut above. He's a cut above us. This is what R.C. Sproul says. He says, when the Bible calls God holy, it means primarily that God is separate. He is so far above and beyond us that he seems almost totally foreign to us. To be holy is to be other, to be different in a special way. The same basic meaning is used when the word holy is applied then to earthly things. What that means is this. God is not like us. 
God is not your buddy. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy. That is not the biblical picture of holy. The biblical picture of holy is that he is different. Way above us. A cut above us. And because of his mercy, he then chooses to make an agreement or a covenant with us. Again, looking at the notes, God's covenant faithfulness. God chooses in his holy otherness, in his, his holiness, he's way up there, way out there. He chooses then to make an agreement with us or a covenant with us. He draws us to himself. Now, how did he do that with Israel? Well, first of all, God bore Israel on eagles' wings and brought them to himself. So he reminds Israel in verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So in other words, God says, do you remember what I did to the Egyptians? Yes, God, you killed them all. Right. Remember that. I'm serious. I'm a covenant-making God, and now I'm making a covenant with you. That's when everybody had a collective, mm, okay, <laughs> thank you for delivering us, but can we like, uh, like hang out with someone else? Because you're scaring me, God. That's the point. <laughs> point two there in your notes. God called Israel his own if they would obey his voice and keep his commandments. This is that idea of covenant. Verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now what you have here is you have an Old Testament contract. It's called a covenant. And it's typically, this model of contract was between someone who was far greater, a king, and someone who was far less lesser would be like their servant. And so the one that's greater that holds all the cards says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make an agreement with you. If you will do this, I will do this. What God says here to Israel, when he calls them to be his people, he says, I'll be your God. You'll be my possession. I'll bless you if you obey me. Now the flip side of these kind of contracts was, as you can imagine, if you obey me, I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. Second collective, because they realize this, this God doesn't mess around. He is serious. He is serious. And so what does God then promise to do for Israel? Well, the next bullet point there, under point one, God is holy. God promised to make Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's what verse six says. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of God. A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, he called Israel out and he made him his, his people. Now I want you to fast forward from 1400 BC all the way up to 60 AD. So some 1400 years later, and I want you to see what 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says. 1 Peter 2, you can jot that in there. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, where it says, God made Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says the following. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. You see, folks, what we see here is in the first Peter uh, passage is that the old covenant promise to Israel to be his people representing him, that's what a priest does, representing God to the world and the world to God, now is fulfilled in the church. We are his kingdom of priests. We are his holy nation. We represent God to the world by sharing the gospel. And we represent the world to God by praying for them to God. That's fulfilled in us. And then the last bullet point under point number one, God met his people on his mountain. And that speaks of worship. Look at verse 11 of Exodus 19. And be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Zion in the sight of all the people. And then verse 19 and 20. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down from on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. You see, the mountain here is where God met with his people. Later... The tabernacle, anybody remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? That ark is where God would meet with his people in the desert when they were nomads for 40 years and put it in a tent. And then after that, God would meet with his people in a temple. Okay, there's been two temples. The first one was destroyed by the Babylonians. The second one was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. We have one wall remaining from that second temple. It's called the Wailing Wall. And that's where God used to meet with his people. But then someone named Jesus came and said, you know what? You used to meet with God in that building, but now you're going to meet with God in this. And he, and he was talking about his own body. And they said, huh? And they said, yeah, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. They thought he was talking about the physical temple. And he said, don't you realize it took us hundreds of years to build that? He wasn't talking about that. He's talking about his body. Because what he's saying is no longer will you meet with God on a mountain like ancient Israel did in 1400 BC, the text we're reading. No longer will you meet with him in a tabernacle as ancient Israel did in the desert. This beautiful tabernacle built uh, according to God's purposes. No longer will you meet with God in a, in a building in Jerusalem on a mountain. You're going to meet with God in a person. In Jesus Christ. You're still going to be my priest. You're still going to be a holy nation. You're still going to be set apart for God's purposes. No longer living selfish lives for your purposes. But it's fulfilled in Christ. It's fulfilled in Christ. That's what, that's what we call worship, dear friends. It's not just singing or giving. It's serving the Lord. Now, point two in your notes. Excuse me. Can you turn me off for a second? I got a cough. And it's loud. And violent. Am I off? Good. <coughs> I'm done. I'm getting over a cold, okay? That would not have been good for your ears. Point two. God is a holy God, and we should obey his voice. Is it optional for you to obey God? Is church just like a little rabbit's foot that you add to your little charm so that your life will go better? If it is, in the words of the famous prophet, run, Forrest, run! Because <laughs> God... Bro, bro, God doesn't play that game. Do you understand me? All right. just want to make sure. So we should obey his, God's voice. How do we hear God's voice? You want, to, you want to hear God's voice today? It's right here. Why did I spend 15, 10, 15 minutes reading Exodus 19? 
Because that's God's voice to you. And my preaching, though it's in my voice, oh Lord, help me. Anything that's not scripture obviously isn't directly God's voice, but I'm trying to echo God's voice in this sermon to you. So you don't think of God as an old grandfather on a mountain somewhere who's half deaf and half blind and will smilingly welcome you into his kingdom like Abuelo does on a Sunday afternoon. That's not God. That's your God. That's you making God in your image. Flee from that. Listen to what God is like. And obey Him. That, my friends, is what our covenant responsibility is. You see that point right there? See the little smiley face right by it? Our covenant responsibility. Smiley face is sort of, you know, in the spirit. We should obey God's voice. We should obey God's voice. Look at Exodus 19.6. This is great stuff, man. And you, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And what does Israel say? Well, look at verse 7 of Exodus 19. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded them. And all the people answered together and said, two million people said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. Just make them stop making us so scared with this lightning and thunder. I, w- I wish, Corey and I talked about this, I wish I could put something up here that would just scare the heck out of you. I can't, okay? We don't have the technology. I wish we had it. Big screens, you know? I wish I could, like, hit a button and, like, have Hurricane Andrew right now in this building. Okay, how many lived through Andrew? Do you remember what you felt like in Andrew? Okay, I'm a wimp. I lived through Wilma, okay? I know, you're going to laugh, right? But I remember, like, two hours into Wilma, when I'm hanging on my outside thing, my legs are out that way because my, something I left out there, I know, I shouldn't have left out there, fell over. And I thought I was going to like break all the windows in my whole neighborhood. And I'm trying to do it. My daughter's out there with me. We're holding on to each other. I'm like, at one point I went, okay, Lord, you could stop this right now if you'd like. Okay, because this is really scaring me, you know. I wish I could do that. I mean, I, mean, I, I wish, and I don't, I don't say this lightly. I wish we could all be standing in China when that eight point something uh, earthquake hit. And 80,000 people. I, you know, I, I wish you could be on the edge of those wildfires that went flying through California recently and people died because it was so fast and so violent. And it just sucked the oxygen out of the air and burned to a crisp everything there. God's holy. Do not play with Him. You got, you got to get this or the next part doesn't make sense. They got it. They were all like, the mountains. We'll do whatever you say, Aaron. We'll do it. It's like, you know, he saved us from Pharaoh, but who's going to save us from him? Good question. Your biggest problem isn't, you know, whatever you're thinking it is. Your biggest problem is God. Biggest problem is God. So. They get to this place, and they say, Okay, Lord, we're going to be your people. We're going to represent you to the world. We're going to be your kingdom of priests. Okay, Lord, we'll do whatever you say. And then that third bullet point, third bullet point under point two, then they had to worship God. They had to worship God. And they had to worship God the way God set it up, not the way they thought of it in their own head. We're not talking dead religion of men. 
who make God in their image. We're talking living faith of God who made us in His image. Now, I know every religion claims to be the real one. You're going to have to sort through that. And if you haven't sorted through that, here's where you start. This is true. If you've got questions about this, we're going to start a course in September that's going to help you understand this. At least give it an honest take. Have you ever read it? Read it. What does it say? But God has an opinion of how he should be worshipped. Otherwise, he's not God. And in verse 14, we see that. Exodus 19, 14. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. That just means wash them. And he washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Verse 18, 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and very loud trumpet blasts. Corey, thank you for teaching us about the trumpet blast. Trumpet, trumpet blasts from heaven are a rare occurrence. Right. I think twice. All right. Here and the last one. And if you're not considering this until the last one, it's too late. Okay? I like basketball. So if the ball's still in my hand and the buzzer goes off, it's too late. That shot doesn't count. If you don't consider this until that final trumpet blows, it's too late. Because the last trumpet closes the whole deal. Done. That's the last trumpet. This is the first one. Now I'm talking about from heaven. All right. So, so they went down, and on the third day, and lightning and thunders, and this trumpet blast, so that all the people of the camp started trembling. Then Moses brought the people out to the camp to meet God, and they look, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Look at that. Look at verse 17. Imagine yourself at the foot of the mountain. Imagine yourself like Israel, standing at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain is trembling. Listen, mountains don't just tremble. When mountains tremble, you better run, because usually if a mountain's trembling, what's about to happen? Dude, this is a volcano. (laughs) That's what mountains that tremble do. They spew out deadly lava or huge boulders that crush people that are standing at the... You don't stand at the foot of a trembling mountain, typically. And what, what, what are they, what's, what's causing it to tremble? It's the holiness of God. It's the otherness of God. You know what? These people have this sense in them. I cannot see this God face to face and live. No time to go into this, but oh, they were so right. All through scripture, God is holy. He's other. He is perfect and pure. An unholy man cannot see holy God and live. That's why in the Bible, every time an angel shows up, listen, People dive on the floor and say, don't kill me, don't kill me. Do a study of it yourself. Because God's holy. We have this sense of a holy other God out there. And you know what? I'd rather not think about him or deal with him. Thank you very much. Isn't that right? So let me make an image of him that I like and domesticate it. And then I'll call that my religion and I'll worship that. Because that's safe. This scares the heck out of me. That's safe. This will not do you any good. Might as well be an atheist. This will scare you. But if you hang in there, save you. Because, oh dear friends, as Israel's standing at the foot of that mountain, we are standing at the foot of that mountain. And we are asking ourselves, oh, you've saved me from Pharaoh, but who's going to save me from you? 
And, and God is poised. And it says in the scripture that he said, don't have anything touch this mountain. If an animal touches this mountain, I will kill it. And there's 2 million people. And, and fast forward to today, there's 12 million people standing at this mountain, trembling before a holy God. Their mouths are shut by God's law. Their lives are judged by God's holiness. And they're going, oh my, who will save us? And from those millions of people, out walks one person. Just happens to be the person that God sent. And in the mystery of this, happens to be God himself as a man. And happens to be the one person who could have obeyed God fully, in fact, did obey God fully, and obeyed every point of the law, and always did it perfectly. And God in his fury, and in his majesty, and in his holy otherness, and in the thunder, and in the lightning, and in the commitment to curse anyone that doesn't fully obey, which is all of us. And in his commitment to bless the one that fully obeys, says... This is the one upon which I will pour out the fury of my wrath. And the angels in heaven are going, no, 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 no. That's the only one that can come up here. The rest of them, if they come up here, even the animals, they have to die because they're unholy. He is the only one, Jesus Christ, who can ascend the mountain because he's the only one that's perfect. And God said, no, that's the one I'm going to kill. And I'm going to pour out the fury of my wrath upon him. And now we're no longer at Mount Sinai. Now we're at Mount Calvary. And now we're no longer before just lightning and thunder, but before the wrath of God and a man hanging on the cross on a mountain with darkness. It was dark, friend, whether you believe it or not. It was dark in the middle of the day. Because Jesus, the Son of God, was taking the wrath of God that we saw a picture of on Mount Sinai, but was exploded upon one individual on Mount Calvary. And we all stand at the foot of that mountain. And there is a choice to be made, dear one. See, it doesn't make sense unless you understand the first part. Will I then have my Mount Sinai where I tremble before a holy God and would rather run away from Him, which you can't, even though you think you can. Or will I see my Mount Sinai be transformed into Mount Zion? Hebrews 12, 18 to 24. Please write that text down. Hebrews 12, 18 to 24. says the following. For you have not come to what may be touched. Hebrews 12, 18 to 24. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given for if even a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said Moses said I tremble with fear but but this is written 1,400 years later to Jewish Christians who knew Mount Zion, Mount Sinai, excuse me. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, not to the physical Jerusalem that's right over there, but to the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, verse 23, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits 
and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So everybody's standing there, heaven and earth. The whole deal is there. Everybody's watching and leaning forward and saying, wow, who's God going to kill? He should kill them all. And then they say, no, no, because who did he kill? Verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. No time to get into the blood of Abel, but here's the deal. Mount Sinai is transformed into Mount Zion, but Jesus Christ, the mediator of a better covenant in his blood. Hebrews 9, 13 to 15 says this. Jot that down. Hebrews 9, 13 to 15 says this. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls, this is the Jewish law of purification, and with the ashes of a heifer, sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience? You want a pure, you want a pure conscience? conscience it's not by doing away with the law it's by having god do away with the guilt of your sin do not bring god down to your level and mock him and say he doesn't exist or say that he exists the way you say he is and please don't judge me because he will judge you and he is holy it's let your conscience be lifted up to him because jesus was slaughtered for you therefore verse 15 he is, he is the mediator, Jesus, of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance. That's what God promised to Israel in 1400 B.C. Jesus fulfilled on the cross in 33 A.D. Since a death has occurred, Jesus, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Write this down. Hebrews 10, 19-25. Hebrews 10, 19-25 says the following. Now remember... Hebrews was written in about 60-something A.D. And it was written to Jewish Christians, hence Hebrews, to instruct Jewish people who had been saved by the blood of Jesus. And this is what the author of Hebrews says to them, verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, don't you know they remembered the mountain? There was no confidence to enter God's presence on the mountain. There was fear that God would kill them. There was God's word that says, you don't touch it, you touch it, you die. All of a sudden, one man steps out, dies for us. Now there's confidence to go up to the mountain of God. We shouldn't have that. We don't deserve that. And rightly should we fear God, but now He adopts us. He saves us. He's our Father. But do not play with Him. I don't know if that tension has you yet. There's this daddy and there's this respect. Which is how it should be in our homes. Verse 20. By the new and living way. Let's go back to 19 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. You know what that curtain is? That curtain is the curtain in the temple that in 33 AD when Jesus died, read it in the Gospels, that curtain, that curtain was torn in two. There was darkness in the land when Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It is finished. Boom, head drops in Mark. You see the Roman centurion goes, he must have been the son of God. Scene shifts to the temple. The temple, this curtain. Nobody could go through this curtain. You died if you went through this curtain. This curtain represented the mountain. The curtain goes, rips in two. Because now Jesus says, it's not through the law or your good works. It is through Jesus that you come to God. I'm still holy. I still will judge. I still have lightning and thunder. And I'm still fearful. But now I'm your father. 
in Christ, not in your good works. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest, that's Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near, look at that, let us draw near, verse 22, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God knew at, the, at, at Mount Sinai, God knew that the covenant of Mount Sinai, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, would be broken because none of those standing there could obey it and none of us can obey it. And that is why he sent Jesus, his son. And that is why he is our savior. That is why we must bow our knee to him and we must have proper fear and respect of God, but we must also run to him as our father because it's in Christ. So once again, I ask you, has Mount Sinai been transformed in Mount Zion in your life? Or are you still attempting to run from God? Stop your running. Come to the only one who can hide you from God's holy wrath. That one is Jesus Christ, our mediator in his blood. And it is this blood of Christ that speaks of a new covenant, not made at a mountain with fire and thunder, but made on a mountain with a dying Savior who then rose from the dead three days later. And it is that new covenant that we now want to celebrate. Ushers, begin to serve us. Worship team, please join. While the ushers are serving us and the worship team is joining me, I'd like to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 32. The Apostle Paul wrote these words inspired by God. And this is what he wrote. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Do you read that? You read it again. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Do you see that? See, God says, come drink. But he says, listen, I'm still God. You drink the way I tell you to drink. Who no one tells me what to do? I'll serve God any way I want to. Who are you to tell me? I'm nobody. I'm nobody. Trust me, I'm less than nobody. But he's somebody. He's somebody. He's God. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Huh? Say what? In the church? God's killing people? Yeah. Why does that shock you? Anybody see the Chronicles of Narnia? There's a scene, I don't know if it's in the movie, I can't remember now, or it's in the book, because I read the book and I watched the movie. And Lucy, 
when she sees Aslan, who's the lion representing Christ, actually, in this story by C.S. Lewis, she says, you know what? Aslan, he's good, but he's not safe. Don't you try to domesticate God. Don't do it. He's a lion. And he's on your, actually, you're on his side because he died for you. But he's still a lion. That's what's going on. Verse 31, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when you are judged by the Lord, you, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. I believe what happened here is that some people died and went directly to be with the Lord. Because God loves you. He loves you as a father. But as a good father, he will discipline you. And listen to me, if you're a Christian, one of the ultimate discipline is he will take your life. That your soul will be saved. There's ample proof of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe. Of a man who was having sinful relations with his stepmother and would not repent. And at one point they put him out of the church and they say, deliver his body to Satan that his soul will be saved. Now that's radical. That offends modern day Americans. Too bad. Because this is God. You have no other choice. You will deal with him. Now or then. Trumpet one or trumpet two. It is your choice. Good news is, he provides a way for you. Oh, man. Oh, man. There's Jesus walking out from our midst. Oh, he's going to kill him. We're going to be saved. And you run to him. That's what communion is. That's what communion is. So, dear friends, in this passage we just read, we see the kindness and severity of God. We see the seriousness of God's new covenant in Christ. We don't see a game that people play in church. We see a covenant that God forges in the heavens. These are some of the most precious truths in Scripture. God is for you, but you must obey Him. And so that's what we're seeking to do. Please bow your head. Lord, I pray the fear of you be on us all right now. Lord, I pray that we would remember the mountain. Because without that, Lord, we will not worship the Savior who stepped out from amongst us. He was one of us and said, I'll take the punishment. I'll take the crucifixion. I'll take the wrath. Unless we sense your judgment, we will never appreciate your vindication in Christ. Unless we sense our guilt, we will never appreciate the one who took that guilt. Oh God, let us sense that, but then just as quickly... Let us sense the relief of being saved. Of being sons and daughters. I just want to pause for a moment. It's not me that you have to worry about. It's God. If you've never said to God, forgive me for my arrogance, my unbelief, my living my own way, and I trust you as my Savior right now, the best I can, I believe what you just spoke to me through your word. If you've never said that to God and trust Him, this would be a great time to do it. I pray God give you the grace to do it. I pray God give you the conviction that you really are at the base of the mountain, not in the auditorium of middle school. And you really are before a holy God. Fortunately, the last trumpet hasn't blown. But that you would now receive His offer, His gracious offer. The Bible says God has mercy on whom He has mercy. He's having mercy on you right now. You're here. Respond. If you do, Please, please, take the, the bread and the wine as it comes by. 
you don't, you never have, please don't. So Father, this is a covenantal moment, and we honor it with the appropriate respect, but also with the appropriate joy. You've adopted us. So Lord, we run to you now because the blood of Jesus has made a way. We run to you now because our consciences are clean from all the sin that we have committed. We run to you now because your Son is our Savior, and we are adopted into your family. 